tonight to Daniel chapter 4. So I avoided uh, this meltdown like the plague because I feel like Daniel is a book that I've taught a lot from. However, there's a lot of good stuff here and I couldn't, um, I couldn't pass it up. So we're exploring meltdowns. We've talked about Moses. We've talked about Elijah. Moses, he reminded us that God is with us. Elijah, uh, he reminded us that God sees you. He pays attention. You're not all alone. And tonight, as we continue, I want to explore the meltdowns, actually, of two kings. So I thought, you know, while I'm here, I'll just go ahead and do lots of stuff. Uh, two kings. I want to look at Nebuchadnezzar and I want to look at Belshazzar. I want to look at both of them like a compare and contrast essay um, and how each responded to their meltdowns. But the angle that I wanted to explore tonight is, is this idea of preventing a meltdown. Now, I know that not all situations that turn into meltdowns can be prevented. I mean, they just happen. But there are wise decisions that we can make that will help us prevent unnecessary meltdowns. And so what I want to do tonight is I'm going to read chapter 4. I want to make a few comments. I'm going to read chapter 5. I'm going to make a few comments. So we're going to do quite a bit of reading tonight. So if you didn't do your Bible reading, then we'll get it done tonight. If you did your Bible reading, then the lecture is not going to, is not going to be bad for you. So follow along with me. Um, chapter 4 of the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last, Daniel came in before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beast on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man 
Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living might know that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. Verse 20. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the root to the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you, Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? And while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it has spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High God and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth, 
and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Chapter 4. So let me make just some observations about this chapter that are unique. So the first thing is this. It's quite apparent that at the very, very beginning of this chapter, the opening, that Nebuchadnezzar wants other people to know about what's happened to him. He wants other people to know about this unusual meltdown that happened to him personally. In fact, sometimes we look at chapter 4 and we, the first couple of verses almost start out like an epistle, like Paul would send an epistle, greetings to all you, let me explain some things. Um, it has that fashion. He knows the outcome. He wants all to know. This is Nebuchadnezzar. This is a pagan king at this point. He wants everybody to know who is responsible for this meltdown. This is the Most High God. This is Daniel's God. This is Israel's God. This is the one who made this happen. So he wants us to know that throughout the text. A second thought is that this meltdown was sent in the form of a dream. And oftentimes in the culture of Babylon, as well as in other cultures, dreams were thought of as messages of importance that is sent from the gods. And so when you had a dream and you knew that dream was distinct and unique and it was important, you had to get it interpreted. Hence the role here of the wise men who would look at the stars, who would uh, do different things uh, to help you understand the dream. Okay, Because if it came from the gods, it was the gods' way of connecting or contacting you. And so you needed to know what the gods were saying, and so you needed people to interpret the dream for you. Makes sense. Third observation here is that Daniel had become a trusted advisor to Nebuchadnezzar, his chief wise man, for the past 30 years. So they had created a bond, a relationship here that is clearly seen. It's also seen by the fact that he's um, reluctant to explain the interpretation of the dream for the king. It says he was astonished for a period of time. He was, ah, mm, that's, uh, he just was, didn't want to do it. And then he wishes for the dream to be for the king's enemies. Uh, you know, he's, he says, I don't want this to be for you, Nebuchadnezzar. I want this to be for your enemies. And he advises the king, by the way, to change his oppressive behavior before it's too late. So there is a relationship here between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. And Daniel has become a trusted advisor to Nebuchadnezzar, his wise man, or excuse me, his chief wise man for the past 30 years. Fourth, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar was real. Let me just say that. What happened to Nebuchadnezzar was real, okay? Some like to fictionalize this account. Um, some like to make it into an allegory. Some like to say, well, it was a, a certain medical disease. And it could have been a medical disease, disease I guess. God could have used that. But what's interesting is that if you look in some of the royal records that were written during these days of Babylon, the Babylonian royal court records, towards the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, and it has a rather large gap of time, and it's kind of uncharacteristic, because usually in your royal chronicles, you know, when you're writing your history as a king, and you've got stuff to fill out each year, stuff to fill out each month, and so it's a constant chronicle of things that happened during your reign. Well, there's this eight years of period towards the end of his reign that's, that is basically nothing is written about that time. So it kind of makes you wonder what happened during those eight years, those seven years of insanity. Well, if you're a king, the last thing you want to do is put the fact that you went insane in your royal records, right? You want to keep that quiet. You want to make sure that that never gets put into the history books. Fifth, and this is last from this chapter four, 
Nebuchadnezzar's recognition that God is most high or the one true God, it bookends this chapter. So it's at the beginning, verses 1, 2, and 3. And he says basically the same thing at the end of the chapter, verses 34 to 37. And if you know uh, literature, then you understand that this is a writer's way of telling his readers that the whole chapter is about what bookends at the beginning and the end, and all through the middle is what it's about. Okay, So we've read it. I've given you some observations about it, about this text. Okay, Now we're going to go to chapter 5. All right? I want you to, I want to do, I'm doing all this quickly because I want you to be able to take four and five together as we compare them at the very end. So I don't want you, I don't want to lose you, okay? So there's some, uh, before we read chapter five, okay, know that a bit of time has elapsed between chapter four and five. After Nebuchadnezzar's death, there were four more kings that came to rule. They came to power. They were killed until the last king here comes along, Belshazzar. So some time has happened. I think about 14, 15 years or so. Uh, my math may not be right exactly on that, but there's some time. So now we go to the very last night that Babylon is an actual country, is actual, an actual superpower, because it's this night in chapter 5 that the kingdom gets taken, uh, the Medes and the Persians come in and they take over Babylon and then the kingdom's changed. It's no longer the kingdom of Babylon. It's now the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. So this is the very night that this happened, the last night of Babylon, we'll say. All right, chapter five. Are you ready? Here we go. Chapter five, verse one. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. And the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Verse 5, in the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him. So the joints of his hips were loosed and his knees knocked against each other like in a cartoon. <laughs> The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, have a chain, or excuse me, have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, the astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, 
understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you, that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you should be clothed with purple and out of a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another, yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Verse 18, O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory, and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. Whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hands were sent from him. And this writing was written in the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Upsarin, and this is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with a purple, excuse me, with purple, and put a chain of gold around his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. And then verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So a couple of comments before we pull everything together about chapter 5. First, I think it's quite obvious that Belshazzar's sacrilegious feast had immediate consequences that were visible to the entire audience, okay, of a thousand lords, their wives, their concubines. There's a huge Huge feast that Belshazzar had thrown. Some people thought it was like the New Year's Eve party. Okay, think of it that way. A huge feast that he threw. And he committed this sacrilegious act that had immediate consequence. I mean, the very minute that they toasted to these gods of gold and silver, the very minute that this sacrilege occurred, the handwriting on the wall was there. And by the way, that idea of the handwriting on the wall, this is where it comes from. Second, Belshazzar promises a reward to those who can read the handwriting on the wall. 
He says, I'll give you a purple robe, a gold chain around your neck, okay, and I'll make you the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, well, that's kind of third ruler. Like, like what's, what's third ruler? Well, this phrase kind of pub, or it puzzled Bible students and scholars a lot until an archaeological discovery in 1879. And it demonstrated something for us. And it demonstrated that there was a co-regency that was going on. It means two kings were ruling at the same time. In this case, in the book of Daniel, it's father and son. So father, named Nabonidus, and Belshazzar, named son, were ruling the Babylonian Empire together at the same time. For religious reasons, for religious reasons Nabonidus didn't like Babylon. He didn't like the gods that the Babylonians served. He just didn't like it. So he chose to live 500 miles to the east in an area of Saudi Arabia and worship his god, the moon god, which actually the moon god's name was, I'm not joking, Sin, capital S-I-N. That was the name of the moon god, okay? That's what it says, okay? I don't write these things. They do. So he moved there because he didn't like being in Babylon. He'd come back and visit Babylon every once in a while. Sometimes he'd come back for extended periods of time, but for religious reasons, he stayed away. So Belshazzar was given rulership over the capital. So the best position that Belshazzar could offer whoever interpreted the handwriting on the wall was the third ruler of the kingdom, right? Right behind his daddy, him, and then the next guy that can do the interpretation. So that's why it says third ruler of the kingdom. A third idea here in the text, the queen shows up. The queen is not Belshazzar's wife. The queen was probably, I feel it, was the aged widow of Nebuchadnezzar. And she suggested that Daniel be brought in to help with the situation. So this means that for whatever reason, he wasn't there at the feast from the beginning. Maybe he wasn't called in because they knew he'd mess things up. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't called in for whatever reason. Maybe he knew that the feast was going to be, it's going to get really, really bad and really, really, you know, not a place where a, a good Christian fellow would want to be. Maybe those are the reasons why. It doesn't necessarily say, it just means that he wasn't there. A fourth observation here is that you see this reoccurring phrase, Nebuchadnezzar, your father. And that indicates some familial ties. And in fact, it's actually believed that Nabonidus, Belshazzar's father, married a daughter of Nebuchadnezzar and had a son named Belshazzar. And that's where your family ties connect. So Belshazzar does have a royal lineage, even though he's co-regent of Babylon with his father, he is related back. And that was not unusual. If you wanted to tie yourself closely to the throne and ensure that you had a good um, uh, a good option to rule the throne, you would tie yourself in that fashion. And then fifth, as Daniel interprets the handwriting on the wall for Belshazzar, he is careful to note. He is very careful to note. And you hear it in the words as it's read, as you look at it. He's careful to note the sovereignty of God. See, the most high God is the one who gives kingdoms and he takes them away. He's the one who elevates and punishes. He's the only one who's in control of all things. And Daniel is very, very careful to note that. 
Now, the reason why I did a compare and contrast, because Daniel essentially, in chapter 5 with Belshazzar, talks about what happened with Nebuchadnezzar back in chapter 4. And he references it in this very moment. So as I was going through this, I felt like we needed to read both chapters so we can get an idea of what we really need to learn from this text, from these two chapters. So here's a couple of things that I wrote down. It's time to broadly look at both accounts and see what principles we can develop concerning meltdowns, right? So from these two chapters, from these two stories, which are tightly connected, let's develop some principles. And the first one is this. First, our response to a meltdown is supremely important, okay? Our response to a meltdown okay, is a key factor. I must have changed it already. Our response to a meltdown is a key factor. So in chapter 4, we learn that Nebuchadnezzar responded well to his meltdown. I mean, he was turning into the birdman of Babylon, right? I mean, after seven years, he responds in humility. After seven years, he lifted up his head to the heavens and declared that Israel's God is the one true God. And when he confessed this, he was restored immediately, personally. His kingdom was given back over him to rule. It says that his advisors were brought back to him. He was restored. He was ruling from a new perspective, a perspective that he was permitted to rule over this kingdom by the one true God. He learned that in a world of false gods, there's only one true God. And this is the most important man at that time in all of history. He responds with humility he responds when, when, when his meltdown happens and he has seven years to be a beast and to think about it, if he thought about it as a beast. I don't know, that's a whole nother discussion, but needless to say, he responded correctly. Now, Belshazzar's response to the meltdown in chapter five is non-existent. Daniel came into the hall, interpreted the handwriting on the wall for the king. Belshazzar's response was not to repent, his response was what? To give the promised rewards to Daniel? It was non-existent. The point here between the two that I'm trying to paint is that we have to have a Godward response to our meltdowns, right? We have to have a Godward response, a Jesus-word response to our meltdowns. Both Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar sought help from their wise men, right? And in both cases, the help of human wisdom didn't work. It failed. Both times they're brought in. Both times they can't do it. They can't do it. When, when meltdowns come, we've got to learn to lean into God and not to run away from him. We need to seek divine help. Stop relying on human wisdom that can easily fail us. Why do we tend to run away from the one who can help us? Again, our response should not be to run away from God. It should be to lean into God, to lean on him. Daniel's a good uh, character, if we were to, to develop Daniel from this series, and I'm not going to do that, but he would be someone who gives us a proper way to handle meltdowns. You lean into God and not away from God. The point is we have to have a Godward response to our meltdowns. A second idea here is that listening to a trusted advisor could prevent a future meltdown. So, again, both Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar's wise men are examples of bad advisors that you should not trust. Kind of like Job's friends. Remember the story of Job and Job's friends? You know, okay, these are some of the guys that you don't really want as friends. 
okay, you want to avoid these guys as friends. Um, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, their wise men, are examples of bad advisors you should not trust. But Daniel here, he's the epitome of a wise man, a true wise person, a true wise man. And even, even Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, even he recognized that something was different about Daniel. Daniel was in touch with his God. He realized that he was a man who was close to God. He realized, as pastor has said, he's a man that walks with God. Nebuchadnezzar saw that. That was, his, that was Daniel's testimony. And, and Daniel was able to offer advice to Nebuchadnezzar that could have prevented his transformation into a beast. Again, but the king refused it. Interesting thing, though, about Nebuchadnezzar is that a one-year period of uh, a 12-month period elapsed before his judgment was rendered on the king. It seems that God gave the king 12 months, a year, to repent before judgment was rendered on the king. And it all seems to be because of Daniel's intercession. And Daniel said, maybe, king, you know, if you stop being oppressive to the poor, stop killing everybody that you don't like, you know, maybe if you start doing some of these things, maybe he won't punish you. Maybe there'll be a period. He won't. Daniel had that relationship with this pagan king. He had the ability to go and tell him. In fact, when the other guys that are supposed to interpret the dream for the king in chapter 4, the wise men, and, and I have a feeling that they knew exactly what the dream meant. They just didn't want to tell the king because they didn't want to get their heads lopped off. Daniel went in and he knew exactly what the dream meant. He knew what was going to happen to the king. And yet he still, he still was that trusted advisor that the king needed. If the king just listened to him. For Belshazzar, unfortunately, Daniel offered no opportunity for delay and punishment. Belshazzar's demise came that very night. I mean, I mean, you think about it. When you're in a meltdown, who is your trusted advisor? Who's the person that you go to? For all believers, the Holy Spirit needs to be the very first trusted advisor when we seek help. After all, he is our helper, right? He needs to be listed I wrote down, he needs to be listed as our emergency contact. Maybe the next time I'm filling that out at the hospital, I can just say the Holy Spirit <laughs> and to see how far that gets me. As they fill out the form, they look and they say, yeah, what's going on here? I, mm, you, I, need, a, I need a number. So find me a number for the Holy Spirit. Maybe I can write, maybe there's a phone number or something like that. But, and then we need other trusted and godly people, right? Who can speak to us with poise and with grace during a meltdown. And we know those people and we trust those people because it's during a meltdown that we become irrational, we become emotionally charged. We need a calm and mature advisor who can speak the truth of God's word to us and in those situations to us. And the Holy Spirit has that ability. But there are also other trusted, mature believers in our church who are able to do that. So listening to a trusted advisor could prevent a future meltdown if you pay attention to the warning signs. Third, meltdowns can be used to teach us valuable lessons. So for both Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, they learn the significance their lives are, the value of their lives, of their lives in the eyes of the one true God. You know, he's sovereign. He allowed them to rule over the kingdom. But the drop of a hat, he could take it all away from them. He could take it all away. And he does so in Belshazzar's case. 
Even in Nebuchadnezzar's case, at the drop of a hat, he takes it away. The theme to the entire book of Daniel is it shows up many times in both of these chapters, in chapter 4 and chapter 5. Chapter 4, verse 17, and chapter 5, verse 21 says it best. The Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That's your theme for the entirety of the book of Daniel. And, 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 and when you look at that during a meltdown, that ought to provide you with enormous comfort. Because he's in control of things. You might not like how he's controlling things, but he is in control of things, and he's got our best interests at heart. Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of his seven years, he realized his pride was a big problem. He learned a valuable lesson, did he not? In the last verse of chapter 4, verse 37, and look what it says. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he was able to put down. He said all of that. Belshazzar also had pride problems, but the problem that drew the handwriting on the wall, pun intended, by the way, was idolatry. Back when the exile was beginning in the early parts of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter one, verse two, it says that Nebuchadnezzar brought back the temple vessels that were in Jerusalem and placed them into the treasury house of his God. So what you would do is that if you went to battle with another nation and you won, you would go into the temple, their religious sanctuary, their shrine, their religious places, their sacred spots, and you would take all their special uh, objects. You take all the gold, the silver, all their special things that they would use to worship their God. And you take them and you go to your nation and you put them in the treasury house of your God, almost as if to say, my God is more powerful than your God because now my God has the stuff that you use to worship your God, okay? So it's kind of like um, a competition, you might say. So Belshazzar has those vessels specifically brought in, the cups, and brought into the feast, and he knows those are meant to worship Israel's God. And he says, we're gonna use those to worship the gods of gold, silver, false gods. And so he uses these sacred vessels inappropriately. It's called sacrilege. In a larger context, it's called idolatry. But that's not the worst part. The worst part is that Belshazzar had become unteachable. Have you ever come across someone who has just an unteachable spirit? Just say they just don't want to learn. They just, no matter how hard you try. You know, how are we ever supposed to learn from meltdowns? if we carry a chip on our shoulder called an unteachable spirit. You know, when I was a kid, and even now, you know, you hear the phrase, nobody likes a know-it-all, right? Nobody likes a know-it-all. And the reason is that a know-it-all usually tells you he knows it all, doesn't he? I mean, have you ever heard of a know-it-all that doesn't say that he knows it all? No, right? The know-it-all tells you that he knows it all, right? Do you realize that God doesn't like know-it-alls either? He doesn't. And I can't think of anything worse than going through a meltdown and not coming out of it with a valuable lesson. What a waste, right? You go into a meltdown, you go through all of that, you not learn anything. Like the book of James says, you'll learn something from those trials so the next time you learn how to go through it better. You learn how to go through it with patience, with maturity. But Belshazzar comes out and he hasn't learned anything. And then fourth, we gotta learn from the meltdowns of others. We have to. Nebuchadnezzar learned a valuable lesson from his meltdown, and he wanted all the kingdom to hear about it, didn't he? he, he 
Nebuchadnezzar's praise of the one true God, like we said, bookends this chapter. In the very beginning, he says, I want to tell you what happened to me. At the very end, let me again tell you what happened to me. I mean, he blessed and praised and honored the Most High. He published this information for all of his kingdom to read. I mean, what pagan king does that and says, Israel's God, he is the Most High God. I mean, what, can you imagine if you went into your office tomorrow and there was a memo on your desk and from your boss, he says, I've decided that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Christ, and that you need to accept him as your savior. And he is the only God we're gonna worship in this workplace. I mean, you probably fall out of your chair and then you think about, oh, He's going to get sued. He's, he's going to be so much trouble. But, but can you imagine, though? Can you just imagine? Here is Nebuchadnezzar that published that information because he wants everybody in his kingdom to know what happened to him, that he had this issue. I mean, he tells them, I was the bird man of Babylon for seven years until I lifted up my head and I realized that the Most High God rules and he restored everything back to me. Right? He actually publishes that information. Now, Belshazzar, on the other hand, he didn't learn from the meltdown of others. And when the handwriting on the wall appears and Daniel's brought in to give explanation, look again at what it says. Look at verse 22. Chapter 5, verse 22. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this. Wow. Although you knew all of this. Although you knew all of this. I did the math. Belshazzar was probably in his early 20s when Nebuchadnezzar's transformation occurred. Nabonidus' father was a prominent official in the palace during the same time. And so what I'm saying here is that Belshazzar saw the firsthand account of what happens when you mess with Israel's God. He saw what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, how he had, was brought to a shameful place within a moment. Daniel says, though you knew all of this, all of it, all of it, the humbling of Nebuchadnezzar, the punishment, the restoration, when the repentance took place, all of it, though you knew all of it, you just didn't pay attention to the warning signs. Belshazzar didn't pay attention to the warning signs. He had 15 years to learn from the time that the illness of Nebuchadnezzar till the time that he's here as king, the last night in Babylon, chapter 5, about 15, 16, 17 years. He had witnessed it firsthand. He knew that you just don't do that. Nebuchadnezzar didn't use the temple vessels to worship false gods with. He knew better. Belshazzar, for some reason, didn't. He didn't pay attention to the warning signs. Of course, we could say Nebuchadnezzar didn't either. He was given extra time to get his act together, and he didn't learn either. The purpose of looking at meltdowns, though, of well-known characters, is we got to learn from their experiences. I mean, we learn from Moses. We learn from Elijah. We learn from what Nebuchadnezzar did right a little bit, but yet he did some bad things. What Belshazzar just, <laughs> just messed things up. And think of it this way. The meltdown of someone else might be the warning sign that God is sending your way. And you look at the situation or hear about what happened to them, and you begin to think about your life situation, right? Like, did you hear about them? Like, 
They lost everything. He lost his job. She can't work because of health problems. It's a whole mess. They could have prevented this if they had some savings or early retirement draws, but they didn't have either. And your mind begins to reason, well, I don't want that type of meltdown to happen in my life. So you ensure things are in place to avoid such a meltdown. You've learned from others. Learning from the experience of others is called maturity. It's, it's just simple, called maturity. Our life of following Christ is all about maturity. And sometimes we learn lessons the hard way, other, terms, other, other times the easy way, but we must learn if we are to grow mature in Christ. And you got to learn from the meltdowns of others. Belshazzar blatantly knew. He knew exactly what Nebuchadnezzar had done. He saw it firsthand. He was living in the palace. I'm sure he heard conversations his dad had. He knew it firsthand, yet he just chose not to do it. And Daniel, aged Daniel, you know, he's probably about in his 80s, points his bony finger, you know, in the face of Belshazzar, right? And says, you knew all of this and you chose not to. It's over. You're done. You're weighed in the the scales and found wanting. He didn't learn from the experience. So let that just be a reminder to us tonight that sometimes we are given an opportunity to maybe help in a meltdown of others or see someone who's having a meltdown or maybe hear about someone who's having a meltdown and think about it and say, you know what? I really need to pay attention because I feel like the Spirit of God has given me some warning signs here because maybe I'm going to go in that same direction and I need to change something. And God does that. He brings people into our lives sometimes that will do that for us. And it's an amazing thing, but we just have to wake up, you know, get our, get our head out of our phone all the time as we're, as we're going around everywhere, right? Get our head up and see what God is doing and why he's trying to prevent that. He wants to help us because he doesn't want to see us go through a meltdown. And if we can learn from the meltdowns of others, that's what we're doing in our series. We're learning from the meltdowns of others. All right. My energy level is gone. 